Hope is on the horizon. Amen. Hey, good morning. You know, we've been camping out in Exodus for the past few weeks in our series, the Exodus journey to freedom. Every single week, we've been looking at God's people, the Israelites, as he delivered them out of captivity and set them free. And we're hoping as a church that you're taking the time throughout this series to reflect on your own journey to freedom. You know, hopefully you can find that intersection point between God's story and your story and how it fits in with God's great story for us all. You know, that first week we were looking at God's people in captivity. They were enslaved in Egypt and it was oppressive. And then in the weeks to follow, we looked at them being delivered, you know, the exodus out of Egypt. And then last week, we were looking at the freedom that can be found through this. You know, we celebrate with them as they set foot on dry ground as the Red Sea had come back together and the water was still. And so if you've been following along with us in your fall journal, this week, it should be no surprise, we're talking about wandering. And I'll tell you something else that may not come as a surprise, but I'm pretty good at wandering myself. Um, I can think back, you know, as I've been thinking over the past few weeks, and especially in preparation for this message, thinking about all the times that I have personally wandered or have been lost in my life. I've had my fair share. I've probably lamented to my dad at different points in time about how I'm geographically challenged. I'm really bad with navigating directions and stuff, but I think one story uh, is really important that helps illustrate some of my own wandering, and uh, it was, we were grocery shopping at Big Bear. Who remembers Big Bear grocery stores? Yeah! So we had a Big Bear right across the street. This is like towards the end, uh, but it was basically nestled here where we've got half-price books in Walmart. And it was a great grocery store. I personally loved how like, they had these giant windows right on the front, and they really only had a couple of doors in and out. But I loved going grocery shopping with my folks. Uh, I loved you know, looking up and down the aisles. And one day, I was there with my dad. And despite his instruction, I didn't listen, and I wandered off. So I start going up and down all the aisles, especially the cereal aisle with all the bright colors and the characters and everything, and then I'd pass by the freezer cases, and I'd stop by and look at all of the kids' cuisines that were there. And it was great because, yeah, especially if you remember kids' cuisines, they were the ones that came with, like, mac and cheese and a dessert. So then when you would nuke them in the microwave, you know what I'm talking about. The, it, it, was, it was just an extra special treat. And so, despite my dad's uh, pleading with me to not wander off and stay by his side, I decided to, to leave. And then as I'm walking up and down the aisles, I think he just got tired of telling me and waiting for me to come back. And so what does he do? He does something to help teach me a lesson. He takes our groceries, goes and checks out, loads them up in the back of the Oldsmobile, and then pulls up right here in the fire lane and just waits for me. And he's looking from the car through those windows. And he could see me. 
So I'm, you know, in awe and wonder, just walking through the store and going, ah, the cereal, all these things. And then all of a sudden, he can see me start to become fearful because I can't find him anywhere in the store. I'm hustling up and down the aisles. I go to the bathroom. I go to customer service. I can't find him anywhere. And then all of a sudden, he stops in and he's like, hey, son, we got some place to go. It's time to head out. And so we load up in the car. And on the drive back home, I think I learned two very valuable lessons that day. And the first was always listen to your father. Uh, I feel like my dad's always got some incredible knowledge that he tries to impart to me, and that was one that really stays with me. The other lesson that I learned, and it's almost equally as important, and it's knowing that my mom would never do a thing like that. (laughs) Now, (laughs) you know, it's true, but I, I wish that that was the end of all my wandering woes. You know, uh, throughout high school and everything, I've navigated uncharted territory. After high school, I graduated and had uh, gone to college out of state. And so this is the first time really away from family and friends in a city that I've not been accustomed to. And even after college and all of the new phases of life kind of beginnings that you, you start, you know, thinking about things like careers, relationships, marriage, kids, finances, you name it. The training wheels were off as I'm navigating all of this territory. And I I think the really comforting thing for me throughout all of that, especially as a young adult, uh, was the fact that I, I had a faith in Jesus Christ. And that was a constant throughout all of that. But my faith also had its fair share of clarity and confusion and wandering. I wrestled with questions. I wrestled with doubt. I've wrestled with fear of what God was calling me to and leading me to. And, you know, maybe you're here today and you can relate to some of this wandering. You know, maybe you've uh, moved to a new city for a job or uh, school, and all of this newfound freedom that you find yourself with, all of the, the choices, decisions, experiences, you name it, have kind of led you astray. The allure of all the freedom has also come with no guardrails and maybe a, a lack of accountability, you know, or um, maybe you found yourself at crossroads where you, you just find yourself asking, God, where are you leading me? Where am I to go? You know, maybe it's a job, and it comes with the allure of lots of money and prestige, but it also means that you might have to spend a lot of time away from your family. Do you sacrifice your family for the allure of accolades and financial security, or do you stay founded or, you know, rooted in your core value of never sacrificing your family. Whatever it is, I, I, you know, I think of a lot of our spiritual journey in relating to this tension. It's not exempt from this tension that we experience in all of these other spheres of our lives. There are seasons in our life where we are extremely fervent in seeking God, where we spend time praying multiple times a day, reading his word, spending time in worship, spending time in our life groups, and all of these things, and we feel like we're doing everything great, and we can hear God with such extreme clarity. And then there are seasons of our life where the chaos and the busyness that's swirling around us begin to mute God's still, small voice 
and we find ourselves asking questions like, am I out of the habit of relying on God? Am I doing this all by myself, or where is God in all of this anyway? I think a good question that we can ask ourselves is, what if the thing you're wandering from is the very place that God is trying to lead you to? You know, the truth in asking this, and I want you to understand, you're not alone in asking these kinds of questions. You know, you and I, we come from a long line of wanderers, wanderers who generations before us, even the Israelites, the Israelites had wrestled with questions and doubts in similar situations. And when we think about the Israelites and their exodus from Egypt, you know, we celebrate with them. They're stepping foot right on the dry ground on the other side of the Red Sea, and it closes up. Their heads held high in the promise of the promised land, this land that's flowing with milk and honey, they're holding on to it in their hearts. And this is like freedom in its rawest, most potent form. They've got Egypt and everything in their rearview mirror. And now they get to navigate this expanse that's before them. But what do you think happens after that initial joy of liberation begins to fade? It's crucial, I think, for us to remember is that their journey was not a one-and-done journey. Every step that they took was in faith. Again, stepping through the Red Sea and stepping onto the sand on the other side, every step was a step that was taken in faith. And it was a, an, a reaffirmation of their commitment to God and God's commitment to them. You know, the price of freedom for them was high. They had to leave everything behind. And we realize, looking back, that it's not just what they're freed from, but what they are freed to. The glow of all of this newfound freedom, while bright and amazing, soon begins to fade as the reality of the wilderness sets in before them. They look around. Sand is all that the eye can see. And it seems like the weight of every step can become increasingly more heavy. And the sun, although bright, can shine and the heat can be oppressive. The comforts of their homes stripped away, right? So they had left everything behind. And hunger begins to set in. And then, because of all of the things that they had experienced, uncertainty begins to cloud their hearts. And rather than lifting their voice to God in praise, they start to lift their voice in lament, in complaint. Exodus 16.3 says, If only the Lord had killed us back in Egypt, they moaned. There we sat around pots filled with meat and ate bread, ate all the bread that we wanted. But now... You have brought us into the wilderness to starve us all to death. It's a gut-wrenching thing to hear after they have experienced miracle and blessing and provision every step of the way. And yet, despite their complaints, God continues to provide for them. God tells Moses, the Lord says to Moses, look, I'm going to rain down food from heaven for you. Each day, the people can go out and pick up as much food as they need for that day. 
So in the middle of their complaints, God still provides. He's providing manna, enough food for every person to eat for that day. And it's not just provision, sustenance, but it's a reminder of God's care for them. And let's not forget the fact that throughout their exodus that we see in other places in the Old Testament, that their clothes never wore out and their feet never swole on their entire journey. But you think about it, like, isn't, don't we sometimes find ourselves in very similar situations? In the midst of our challenges, our memories begin to betray us. How quickly we forget the miracles, the blessings, the times that God has shown up for you and me when we've least expected it. Doubt and forgetfulness send us wandering. And yet, this tendency to forget about the distant past is something that still happens with the present, with the things that are more immediate. Think about it. You just received a promotion at work. God's hand is clearly on your life providing for you, and it's also a clear sign of your hard work and dedication that you've put in. And no sooner than the ink on your new title dries, you're presented a challenging assignment. And rather than basking in the bountiful blessings that God has poured out for you, you grumble and you complain about the immediate task at hand. Or maybe, you know, you prayed for a relationship that God would bring a godly woman or man into your life, somebody that you could spend the rest of your life with. You walk down the aisle and you say, I do. And then on the other side of that, rather than experiencing how wonderful that marriage can be, how great that relationship can be. We're thinking about the challenges from constantly compromising what we want for what they want. We find ourselves miscommunicating and having a lack of understanding. Or even parents, you know, you've brought a a brand new child into your home, and it's an incredible blessing that God can provide But in sleepless nights and relentless schedules, this little bundle of joy seems to suck all the joy out of every single situation. (laughs) And, you know, it's in these moments, our yearning for something more intangible and immediate. I mean, I'm not speaking from experience myself. (laughs) But the, the moments when you find yourself restless, it's easy to go for something that's within reach. You know, think about it, as hardship prolongs, it's kind of like uh, a, a, a parched traveler in a desert, and you're presented with a mirage of shortcuts and quick fixes that ultimately don't really exist or don't really meet the needs that you find yourself in. So think back to the Israelites for a moment. So Moses had just presented, you know, all the, the Ten Commandments, and he's spending time on the mountain, 40 days and 40 nights, and all the Israelites are growing weary and restless. And they start talking, and they start talking to Aaron. They've got Aaron's ear, and they say, make us some gods who can lead us. We don't know what happened to this fellow Moses who brought us here from the land of Egypt. And so Aaron, in listening to them, provides a solution. He says, hey, give me all of your gold rings and earrings and he 
crafts them, melts them down into a golden calf. And when the people saw it, they exclaimed, O Israel, these are the gods who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And so Aaron takes it a step further and he builds an altar in front of the the calf and the Israelites start burning sacrifices to it and also start celebrating because now they've got a God who's going to lead them, continue to lead them out of their suffering. And it just continues to go downhill from there. And so what ends up happening is the Lord says to Moses, quick, go down the mountain. Your people who you brought out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. How quickly have they turned away from the way I commanded them to live? They have melted down gold and made a calf, and they have bowed down and sacrificed to it. They're saying, these are your gods, Israel, who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Their impatience and longing for something to help meet the restlessness that they're experiencing in their hearts and in their lives led them down a treacherous path. And this is probably one of the the most infamous points in the entire Exodus story. This golden calf was more than just a statue. It symbolized all of the unrest that was within their hearts. And for us, it's a cautionary tale. When we find ourselves in situations where we're growing restless, do we find ourselves turning to things like worldly comforts, mindless entertainment, addictive behaviors, toxic relationships, or do we find ourselves turning to God in those moments? What happens when our impatience meet our desire? We lose the eternal chasing the momentary. And the thing is, history offers us profound examples time and time again, and especially with the Israelites. They're a powerful example to us today. After escaping the tyranny of Egypt and being enslaved, their repeated bouts of doubt and disobedience and fear culminated in severe consequences. It's what barred them from setting foot in the promised land. Their short-term decisions had long-term implications for their lives. Even take the account of the 12 spies going in to survey the land. Here at the edge of the promised land, the Lord tells Moses, send in 12 spies, one from each tribe that's represented there. And they go in. Moses had given the men the instructions, and he sent them out to explore the land. Go north through the Negev and into the hill country. See what the land is like and find out whether the people living there are strong or weak, few or many. So see what kind of land they live in. Is it good, bad? Do their towns have walls or are they unprotected like open camps? Is the soil fertile or poor? You get the idea. He sent them in with a a very specific mission. Go and survey the land. Find out whether or not we can step into this. And so after the spies had been exploring and surveying for 40 days, they come back and they bring the report and present it to the community and they present it to Moses. We entered the land that you sent us to explore and it is indeed a bountiful country, a land flowing with milk and honey. But the people living there are powerful. Their towns are large and fortified. We even saw giants there, the descendants of Anak. The Amalekites live in the Negev and the Hittites, Jebusites, and Amorites live in the hill country. 
the Canaanites, live along the coast of the Mediterranean Sea and along the Jordan Valley. And so this is the report of 10 of the 12 spies. Caleb, one of the other two, had a, a different report that he was trying to share. But Caleb tried to quiet the people as they stood before Moses. Let's go at once and take the land, he said. We can certainly conquer it. But the other men who had explored the land with him disagreed. The other 10 had said, we can't go up against them. They are stronger than we are. So they spread this bad report about the land among the Israelites. And once everybody had caught word, the whole community started to, to weep and to moan aloud. They cried all night, and their voices rose in a great chorus of protest against Moses and Aaron. If only we had died in Egypt or even in the wilderness, they complained. Why is the Lord taking us to this country only to have us die in battle? We see in this passage from Numbers, God's people are on the edge of the promised land, ready to seize it, but unsure how to move forward, frozen in their fear. But Joshua and Caleb return with a positive report, trying to encourage the people to go in and to seize it. And yet, the other 10 who sowed fear into the rest of the community caused them to never move forward, to never to be able to set foot into the promised land. The Israelites' lack of faith had incredibly dire outcomes. Numbers 14 says, But as surely as I live, and as surely as the earth is filled with the Lord's glory, not one of these people will ever enter that land. They have all seen my glorious presence and the miraculous signs I performed both in Egypt and in the wilderness. But again and again, they have tested me by refusing to listen to my voice. They will never even see the land I swore to give their ancestors. None of those who have treated me with contempt will ever see it. So because of their disbelief, because of their fear, God declares that because of this, an entire generation will never walk into the promised land, the land that he has prepared for them. And time and time again, they continue to doubt. Despite the miracles that they had witnessed back in Egypt, despite the deliverance that they had experienced walking through the Red Sea and setting foot on dry ground, despite the provision that they had experienced each and every day with the manna, with their clothes never being worn out, they still were too afraid to step into what God had prepared them to do. And so God goes on to say, now tell them this, as surely as I live, declares the Lord, I will do to you the very things I heard you say. You will all drop dead in the wilderness. And because you complained against me, every one of you who is 20 years old or older and was included in the registration will die. You will not enter and occupy the land I swore to give you. Because of the wandering in their faith, 
because of their fear, they missed out on the promise that God had for them. And ultimately, turned what could have been like an 11-day journey into 40 years of wandering in the desert. And the thing is, if we cannot die to ourselves in our wandering, we ourselves will die. Think about your own lives and the choices that you make each and every day. Where are you making decisions that wander from the faith that you profess? You know, in our world, it's easy to get wrapped up in the instant gratification of things. You know, I talked about the kids' cuisines. Two minutes, you got dinner and dessert. But I know it's, it's a, a silly meal, but where else do we do that in our lives? Where we turn to worldly comforts, the, the mindless entertainment consumption, addictive behaviors, toxic relationships, you name it. Where do we settle short of what God is promising us, promising us today? And what we often forget, just like the Israelites, is that while the immediate might offer quick fixes, it never fulfills. So many of the Israelites got caught up in fear. And they allowed that to hold them back. And some of you might be here today thinking maybe a little bit like Joshua and Caleb and going, I'm doing all the right things. I'm praying, I'm listening to God, I'm hanging on to his promises, but I still feel like I'm wandering. The repercussions of that community affected their ability to set foot into the promised land when they could have. And Joshua and Caleb had to continue to wait while the rest of the Israelites <clears throat> had died. For Joshua and Caleb, what they had witnessed time and time again wasn't just history or something that they were talking about. This was real, intangible. This was their interactions with God, the great I am. This was not just something that was passed along. They got to live this out each and every day. And it's their patience, their tenacity that set them apart from the rest of the Israelites. Because that entire generation of people never set foot into the promised land except for them. And so here's the sobering truth. God's purpose will always prevail. If we aren't willing to step up, he will surely find another who will. And so I want to circle back to that question from earlier. What if the very thing that we're wandering from is the place that God is trying to lead you. Perhaps the most tragic moment in the entire Exodus story is this. The fact that God's people were on the edge of the promised land. It wasn't just a dream that was distant. It was within sight. Like they could have seized this. Hope was on the horizon. And yet they failed to move in the confidence 
of knowing that God has moved and provided for them time and time again. Their tragedy wasn't just in the waiting. It wasn't just in the waiting. It was reaching the threshold of the promise of God and faltering. All they had to do was step forward, but instead they retreated. And the Israelites' hesitation at the edge of the promised land is not just their story. It is a cautionary tale for you and for me. As we stand at the edge of the promises that God has for us. And whether, wondered whether we would step forward or not. So I want to ask you this question, where are we settling short of the promised land? I tell you, one of the things that is tragic and heartbreaking is seeing people who are stuck wandering. I get to hear this often, of where people have made decisions that have drastically changed the trajectory of their life. There are times where we celebrate because they're positive trajectories, you know, seeing God move, but there are, I've spoken to folks who wrestle with addiction. I, I see people who are destroying their marriages, destroying their relationship with their kids. And yet all it takes is a step in faith to say, I'm going to seek counseling. I'm going to pause before I speak. I'm not going to go to that website. I'm not going to drink from that bottle. Like the Israelites, we're in danger of never setting foot in the promised land. You realize God has penned powerful stories for you and me more than we can realize right now with our vision. Because the challenges that might be before us take the, the vast landscape of God's grace and provision and shrink it down to the size of a porthole that we try to filter everything through. And so our ability to see what God desires for us to do becomes clouded. And as a church, think about this. When we fall short, those ripples of our hesitation go beyond our personal lives, go beyond our congregation in, in, into our communities. You know, Northwest Columbus, I, the, the whole world, hope is in high demand and in low supply. And when we stall out as a church, we fail to step into what God is calling us to do to help people experience life to the fullest in Christ. Your neighbors, the lady at the grocery store who you, you know by name, who checks out your groceries every single week, may never know Christ because you and I become frozen by fear and we decide to settle short. So I want to ask you, will we be pioneers paving a way through the wilderness to help people in our community experience life to the fullest in Christ or will we rather settle short of the promised land? and just die in the desert. This is the truth. Jesus Christ did not die on the cross so that you and I would die in the desert. The reality as God's people is that He deeply desires for you and I to be delivered to a place of rest today. You might be here today feeling unsettled and unable to find rest, 
But God desires for you to experience the rest that can only be found in Jesus Christ. Not in pining over the the good old days and the places that we've been delivered from. Not in the golden calves that we craft, that we burn sacrifices to and to celebrate. Or all of the other worldly things that we find ourselves doing to numb and distract us from the pain that we might feel with the challenges that are before us. Jesus Christ did not die on the cross so that we would die in the desert. This, to me, I think this is the beauty of the Exodus story. This is our Exodus story. And this is the good news about the good news, is that we can find rest. We don't have to stop short of the promised land. All we have to do is to believe that God loved you and I so much that he sent his son. And then if we believe in the sacrifice that he made on the cross, then we can find that rest today. You're welcome. Regardless of the chaos and the obstacles that you might find yourself witnessing, like those other 10 spies, the mountains, the giants, the fortified cities, all those things, Jesus' sacrifice on the cross makes a way for us to step into the promised land. And so if you are here today feeling unrest and growing tired of wandering or thinking of settling short of God's promise, I want to let you know that in the midst of the chaos, hope is on the horizon. Today can be the day that you choose to stop grumbling and complaining about the challenges that you face as you wander in the desert of your life. To stop pining of places that God doesn't desire us to go back to, that he's delivered us from. To stop worshiping the idols that we've created that are just a poor facsimile of any kind of hope that you or I might experience. You can make a decision today that can drastically change the trajectory of your life and your family's life for generations to come. So, how can we resolve to not be wanderers? Because that's the thing. You know, we find ourselves in our day-to-day wandering and not realizing the accumulative effect that it makes. So I want to give you three things that you can implement this week, this week, that can drastically change the trajectory of your life. And the first is this, believe in the promise. Believe in the promise. We have to start with that heartfelt belief that what Jesus accomplished on the cross is for you and for me. Understand that it's not just a point in history, but this is a living, breathing reality that can transform our lives. When Jesus was up there on the cross with the thief on his, well, I was going to say left, but this is my right. This would have been on Jesus' right and his left. And when he's saying, it is finished, it is finished, that means the path 
to the promised land. The path to a relationship with the Father is paved, and it's ready for you and I to set foot on. Our part is to believe in the promise and let it be the thing that guides our entire lives. So believe in the promise. The second is this, remember God's faithfulness. Sometimes it's challenging. We're so busy, we find ourselves engrossed in our phones, checking emails, social media. We've got the, the chaos of our lives. I want you to, right now, if you've got your journal, your Bible, post a note, whatever. Write down what you are grateful for from God. Write down the places that he's delivered you from. Write down the places that he's delivered you to. And put that someplace where you can see it and reflect on it each and every day. Like if it's from the mirror in your car, on the mirror in your bathroom, remember these things. And the last is this, have courage. True courage is not about the absence of fear. It's about recognizing God's presence in the midst of it. Whenever you feel overwhelmed, whenever you feel scared of what's ahead, of what God is calling you to do, to step out in faith, we need to remember that God is with us. We need to stop looking through that tiny perspective and remember that God has something greater that he's calling us to. And so church, imagine, imagine when we come together as God's people, when we believe in the promise, when we have courage, when we remember God's faithfulness, think of the collective impact that that can make. You know, when we think about that, day to day. It helps us to remember that we're not in this alone, that we are people who are not wandering by ourselves, but rather we are people who are linking arms and praising God for his faithfulness and stepping forward together. You know, one of the amazing things that we get to be a part of is celebrating the milestones of faith that people make. When we think about baptism, when we think about child dedication, these aren't just things that we do. We get to be a part of celebrating because the celebration spurs us on to take greater steps of faith. What God is doing in your life can be a beacon of hope in somebody else's. Don't forget that. Don't discount that. Despite the challenging terrain that we might navigate, we get to do it together. And when we join our voices in worship, when we get to sing of God's praises, it's a reminder of the places that He's delivered us from and what we're delivered to, the freedom that we have that's only found in Jesus Christ. We're reminded of His promises, and I'll tell you the great thing about it is that it doesn't have to stay confined in the walls of this building. It doesn't. In fact, it shouldn't. We get to take it into the rest of our community, beyond the walls, beyond the borders of our county, of our state, and into the rest of the world. Hope doesn't have to only reside at 2425 Bethel Road. Hope is on the horizon 
And we get to be a part of ushering that into the rest of our community and into the rest of the world. And so when we live this out together, this is the beautiful part. Our individual lives aren't just changed, but we get to help transform our communities. And so remember, in the chaos, hope is on the horizon. The promised land is within reach. Are you ready to seize it? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just take a moment to be in your presence and to remember the fact that you love us so much more than we can ever rightfully express. The fact that, God, you've gone out of your way to make a way for each of us to be in relationship with you. Father, I pray for any person in this room or who can hear my voice today that is wrestling with fear, that is wrestling with doubt, and is thinking about settling short of your promise for them. Remind us, God, that Jesus didn't die on the cross so that we could die in the desert. Remind us that you've made a way so that we can spend the rest of our lives, the rest of eternity with you. Give us the courage to know that you are with us amidst the chaos. Remind us, God, that hope is on the horizon. It's not just a distant dream, but it is a reality. And so, Father, I pray for the decisions that need to be made today in light of understanding some of these these things that we've heard this morning. God, would you help us to not hesitate, help us to not retreat, but instead shore up our footing, help us to step forward, to remember your promise, to remember your faithfulness, and to have courage. God, we love you, and we thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.